Support for this podcast and the following message come from Wise, the app that makes managing your money in different currencies easy. With Wise, you can send and spend money internationally at the mid-market exchange rate. No guesswork and no hidden fees. Learn more about how Wise could work for you at wise.com. Today on the State of Ukraine, time is running out for the Ukrainian counteroffensive. I'm Greg Dixon. Back in June, when Ukraine started its military push to retake territory from Russia, expectations were high. But while progress has been made, advances on the battlefield have been limited. And fall rains and winter weather are on the way soon, making fighting difficult. Aisha Roscoe spoke to NPR's Greg Myrie about the future of the Ukrainian effort. So, Greg, you've reported extensively from Ukraine. Um, What are Ukraine's prospects for taking back more territory before weather turns bad? Well, it's certainly possible. But if Ukraine is going to make a major breakthrough before the winter sets in, it needs to happen fairly soon. The top U.S. general, Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, addressed this question recently in an interview with the BBC. Uh, The Ukrainians are still plugging away with steady progress and there's still... A reasonable amount of time, probably about 30 to 45 days worth of uh, fighting weather left. The Ukrainian forces are trying to advance on three separate fronts in the south and east, and they've moved forward several miles in several months of heavy fighting. But they're still well short of their own stated goal, which is to push about 50 miles to the southeast coast and split the Russian forces in two, leaving them much more vulnerable. So far, the Russians remain deeply entrenched and are really contesting every bit of territory. So, I mean, if the if the front lines don't change, uh, you know, in the next few weeks, like, does that mean that we're looking at a stalemate over the winter? That's certainly a possibility, Aisha. Um, and to take a step back, Russia launched a full-scale invasion in February of last year, and lots of territory changed hands last year. But since the beginning of this year, very little territory has changed hands. So it does raise the question of what comes next or even how the war might end. And I spoke about this with Charles Kupchin. He's a former diplomat and national security official. When this offensive reaches its limits, which it will probably do when it gets muddy, what do we do then? The Ukraine is suffering terrible loss of life. And as a consequence, uh, one has to ask, might Ukraine be better off trying to get a ceasefire and beginning the process of rebuilding? So Kupchin was part of a small, unofficial group that met quietly this year with Russian officials. And he's faced considerable pushback for raising the possibility of a ceasefire or a permanent agreement at a time when the U.S. and Ukrainian governments are still very much focused on the battlefield. Is there reason to believe that either the Ukrainians or the Russians are even interested in negotiations? We're really not seeing that. President Volodymyr Zelensky, the Ukrainian leader, who will be in the U.S. this week at the United Nations, says it's unrealistic to negotiate with Russian leader Vladimir Putin. He says Ukraine's goal is to reclaim all its territory, and the Russians still hold about 15, 16 percent of Ukraine's land. And most Ukrainians agree. The polls show that 80 percent or more of the Ukrainians want to keep on fighting to drive out the Russians even if that means a protracted war. And that was certainly my experience talking to Ukrainians recently. And as for Putin, this past week, he met with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un in order to secure more weapons. Now, you don't normally think of North Korea as a land of abundance, but they do have artillery shells, and that's what Putin needs. 
He seems to believe he can outlast Ukraine and that the U.S. and Europe will tire of supporting Ukraine and that the war will sort of eventually break in his favor. We've been talking about fighting on the front lines, but but what else are you keeping an eye on? Well, attacks behind the front lines. Ukraine claimed a couple of significant attacks in Crimea, the peninsula in the south, where it says it inflicted damage on a Russian submarine and Russian warships. So Ukraine is now regularly hitting Russian supply lines and ammo dumps miles behind the front lines using missiles from the west. And bit by bit, this makes it harder for Russia to resupply its troops in Ukraine. What about reports of attacks inside Russia itself? So that's something we're seeing with increasing frequency. Ukraine is now making its own drones, which can reach Moscow 300 miles away. Uh, Several times they forced Russia to temporarily shut down airports in the capital. So it's hard to measure exactly how much impact this is having on Russia's overall war effort. But it's clear that Ukraine's ability to carry out these long-range attacks has expanded dramatically over the past year and continues to get stronger. That's NPR's Greg Myrie. Greg, thank you so much. Sure thing, Aisha. Thanks for listening to The State of Ukraine from NPR News. We'll see you again soon. This message comes from Schwab. With Schwab Investing Themes, it's easy to invest in ideas you believe in, like online music and videos, artificial intelligence, electric vehicles, and more. Schwab's research uncovers emerging trends, then their technology curates relevant stocks into over 40 themes to choose from. Schwab Investing Themes is not intended to be investment advice or a recommendation of any stock or investment strategy. Visit schwab.com slash thematic investing. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Macmillan Audio. One of the most thought-provoking books about the Middle East, Thomas L. Friedman's From Beirut to Jerusalem, is now available as an unabridged audiobook featuring a new preface read by the author. Find it wherever audiobooks are sold.